0: Good morning, Church. We're motoring through the book of Jonah right now. Hopefully uh, you've had some great insights into what the story of Jonah can mean in our own personal lives. Uh, if you're struggling to sort of find the meaning behind this or you're, you're falling behind in terms of uh, remembering what, what's happened from week to week, uh, can I recommend uh, a great resources at The Bible Project, which is just uh, thebibleproject.com. Uh, If you want to see a great video on the book of Jonah, just to get you up to speed on where we are and how we're going, I can recommend that. And if you want to delve even further into their podcasts and things, you'll find some great resources on some of the scriptures. And so I encourage you to do that. But uh, today I want to start with just letting you know that the word of the Lord involves vomit. You're thinking, hang on, I'm eating breakfast here. That's not a very polite thing to, to bring up. But it all depends on context. Um it's interesting to know that that perhaps might be the case, but it's not important and it's nothing more than perhaps a, a slightly uh, distasteful uh, thing to say on a Sunday morning if we don't know the context that it's in. And so we're continuing through the Book of Jonah, and we'll probably come to that bit in just a moment. Uh, and if you recall, it's this comic satire of this story of a, a rebellious, religious hypocrite who runs from his own God, and his sin and his selfishness turns him into, as we saw last time, a relational wrecking ball. So where we ended the story last week was that he's thrown over the side of the boat, he's sinking down into the depths of the sea, but the story doesn't end right there. It surprisingly takes a twist. And so there's this crazy, crazy thing we're going to see this week where Jonah has this encounter with his own death down the mouth, literally and metaphorically, of death itself. It swallows him up. And so you're thinking, you know, this is a guy who's getting what is coming to him. God's allowing him to deal with the consequences of his decision. But then there's this gospel aspect to the story that it's right when he hits bottom and he's swallowed up by the consequences of his silly, foolish, selfish behaviour that God's grace happens to him. And in verse 17, we read that, "'The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, "'and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights.'" So the God of Israel turns a vehicle of death into this bizarre vehicle of grace and all of a sudden he gives him another chance at life by opening his eyes to what's happening and from the inside of the fish he's not dead. What's he doing? And chapter 2 verse 1 says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He's composing a beautifully intricate Hebrew poem that represents his his prayer to God, which is... I'm sure what you and I would be doing if we were in these circumstances, right? Uh, It's actually really bizarre. If you've been hearing this story for so long it's not bizarre, then you need to wake up because just the idea of composing intricate poetry inside the belly of a fish is strange. So what what does the author of Jonah expect us to see in this image? In the moment of the story of a man swallowed by a fish because of his own stupid sin. And then he prays a prayer of repentance and transformation from within the fish. What would the first readers of this story, how, how, how would they understand the meaning of this? Uh, and, and this is the problem we have with the Bible. It's a difficult book to read. Um, most of us get into this mode of like reading the Bible and, and looking at the pages, and we read it, and we read it, and we, we do, we're not getting it, we're not getting it, we're not getting it until suddenly something pops out of it. We think, wow, that's a cool sentence, I like that one. Uh, I'm going to make a cross-stitch out of that. Uh, or we, we continue on and we read another part, and we don't get it, and we don't get it, and we don't get it, and we suddenly think, oh, that'll make a cool bumper sticker, and somebody makes a fortune in bumper stickers. And and that's that's pretty much the way most Christians operate with the Bible. And what that leads to is a view of the Bible, that it's just this this collection of individual, self-contained, cool little sentences that I can use for personal inspiration, or just to warm my heart, or, or something similar. And the problem with that is, If you just read the Bible as a little grab bag of individual sentences that tells you God's will, you can make the Bible say anything you want. This is not even a religious thing, this is just about context. And so, what on earth is the story about a rebellious Israelite prophet getting swallowed up by a fish and then praying and getting vomited out? What's what's that all about? What does it mean? Well, it depends on the context. If the book of Jonah didn't just fall out of heaven, it occurs in a context. And what is that context? Well, What's the first thing we read? Back to Jonah 1.1. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. And we know that messages from the Lord come to what kinds of people in the Bible? They're prophets. And so Jonah occurs among the prophets of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. That's its context. And so what you have to back up and and say is, OK, what are these prophets about? And so here's the basic idea. It's the story of Israel. God redeems his people out of slavery in Egypt. He enters into a covenant relationship with them and he brings them into the promised land. And how do they do at living in a covenant relationship with the God who redeems them? Not so great. So this is where the prophets stepped on the scene. The people of Israel abandoned Yahweh. They gave their allegiance to other gods. They idolised things that they turned into gods, whether it was military power or wealth or something else. And so the prophets come to remind Israel of their sin and their faithlessness and they warn Israel that if they don't turn from their sinful ways, they're going to deal with the consequences of these decisions. The ultimate consequence was that the Babylonian Empire swept in, besieged the city of Jerusalem, captured the city and hauled the Israelites off into exile. And that's, that's a huge theme in the prophets. It's this, here's what you're doing, here's how you've abandoned the government, and here's what's going to happen to you if you don't turn back. But the great thing about that is that Yahweh's commitment to his promises is even stronger than Israel's rebellion and sin. And the prophets always look forward to this time on the other side of Babylon where God is going to preserve a remnant and a continue Israel's story. And there you go. That's the role of the prophets. And Jonah occurs among the prophets. And the books of the prophets are all about a rebellious covenant people of God who are faithless and abandon their gods, suffering the consequences. But God's grace redeems them and brings them out of the other side. And if... You remember what we've been reading, you sort of go, well, duh, that, that's the story of Jonah so far. And so why all the other books of the prophets are a collection of words, poetic words, that they're all about this, the book of Jonah is the only story among the prophets, which is a story about redemption, which is actually the storyline. And so this is even more interesting. When you read the books of the prophets, they're all, they're all writing poetry. They develop metaphors and poetic images to talk about Israel's sin about what the exile is going to be like, about rescue, restoration. One of the earliest prophets, uh, the prophet Hosea, developed a whole bunch of powerful poetic stock imagery to talk about this story. And if we just take a random sampling from from chapter 8 in Hosea, you can actually see the connections with the story we're reading really quickly. Verse 1, he says, The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord. For they have broken my covenant and revolted against my law. And now Israel pleads with me, help us, for you are our God. But it's too late. The people of Israel have rejected what is good. And Going on to verse 8, it says, The people of Israel have been swallowed up. They lie among the nations like an old discarded pot. So you have the Israelites crying out, Yes, we acknowledge our God, Yahweh. But actually they've rejected what is good. Does that sound like anyone you know from Jonah and Hosea goes on to say a mighty king is coming he's going to take over Israel as a result of their foolish decisions and so what's the metaphor that he uses it's likely going to be swallowed up now Hosea was one of the earliest of the prophets and a lot of other prophets who came after him picked up some of his images or picked up on lines that he used and developed them even more a great one is in Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 34 where it says King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has eaten and crushed us and drained us of strength he has swallowed us like a great monster and filled his belly with our riches he has thrown us out of his own country out of our own country and so you can see the power of these images and so that's what's going on back in the story of the world of jonah instead of poetry and imagery about the coming disaster for the nation of israel we can see the embodiment of that train wreck in an actual person so here's jonah he's quite proud of himself He's been able to run from God. So here he is, breeze in his hair, sailing for Tarshish. He has these wide open horizons, huge open space of his freedom. He's declared his autonomy from God and here we go. Wind in the hair and all of a sudden it catches up with him. His selfishness, his sin, it all catches up with him and it's this great snowball effect. His decision leads him down, down, down into the ship into sleep, down into the ocean, and now all of a sudden he's at the bottom. He's got no further to go. And he's in the exact opposite of a wide open horizon. He's confined to the belly of a beast. And this belly is this image of being trapped in seasons of hardship or suffering or pain or confusion. And in Jonah's case, it's a mess of his own making. So what do you do when you're here? How do you pray through this? How do you process through this trauma that you're going through and so really what this prayer is is an invitation for us to see Jonah's experience of praying through his hardship and his suffering. We're going to talk more about that next time but the point I want us to consider this week as we come to terms with how our life is changing of how the world is changing is how the context of God's actions in Jonah's life are reflected in our own. We can can see from expanding our view of the story to see the big picture that Israel's disobedience to Yahweh was going to have painful consequences, even though the hope of redemption is always there. Zeroing in on Jonah, we can see that he embodied their disobedience by waiting to repent until he was down, down, down to his very bottom. He was down on his strength, down on his abilities, down on his obedience, down on his love for God and down on his love for people, especially Ninevites. So we've got a choice waiting to be made. We can turn to God now, put our trust in him, surrender to his plans and purposes for us, whatever Nineveh he asks us to visit. Or we can keep waiting until we're at the very bottom of our mental, physical, emotional and spiritual strength before we reach out to him. I saw a post the other day about mental health in our community and I thought it related exactly to how many of us as Christians relate to God. And this article said... We desperately need to tackle the idea that somebody has to hit rock bottom in order to receive mental health support. I cannot reiterate enough how vital early intervention is. After all, you wouldn't wait for every bone in a person's body to break before you treated their broken arm. Jesus isn't just there to catch us when we fall. He's there to give us an extra lift when we're carrying heavy loads. He's there to provide a boost when we're moving fast. He's there to provide compassion when we're reaching out. We don't have to be completely broken before we reach out. We don't even have to wait until we're slightly broken. Let's reach out while everything is a-okay, while we're tracking well. It's not a sin to be doing okay, but we have to remember it's in his hands, not ours.